0: Do you ever imagine your own funeral? You ever do that? Like picture what it might be like? Wonder what people will say? Does that seem kind of morbid to ask? When I was a kid, I used to do this all the time. Uh, You're thinking, well, that explains a lot. (laughs) In our house, growing up, you had to clear your plate off Everything that was served to you, you had to eat it all. Anybody else come from a home like that? Yes. And that was easy in some regards, but the green vegetables, that was hard. And there was a timer that was set, and the further it went along, and the colder those things got, the harder it was. You couldn't leave the table until everything was gone, unless you had to go to the bathroom. And I remember as a seven-year-old realizing, I can fit all of those ice-cold peas in my mouth and then use the bathroom. And I did this, and you know, there they were all in the toilet. I flushed. I came back, hey, I'm done with dinner. I was so proud of myself. I went off to my room. I felt victorious until about a half an hour went by. My mom went to use that same bathroom. And it turns out that peas float even when you flush them. (laughs) She asked me about it. Uh, In our house, there was also a rule. When you lied, like I did, uh, there was a little wooden spoon in the kitchen that you got a shot with. Does anybody else have that? Yeah. As she went to get this dreadful spoon, I grabbed a comic book and I got it right down in here. So when she smacked me, I laughed. And that didn't go very well. (laughs) There I was in my bedroom suffering the punishment and I started to think, what if I die in here? What will they say at my funeral then? And while that's not the best way to imagine your funeral, it's not a bad thing to actually wonder what will your life have amounted to? Now uh, what What does your life actually do right now in the world that you find yourself in? Uh, when people observe you in this life, what are they seeing? I was thinking of this especially because of, of, of a funeral I was at just a few weeks ago. It's one of the unique Qualities of a pastor's life that we attend a higher percentage of funerals than most people. Those are the times when everyone gathered begins to reflect out loud about the meaning of the life that's now ended. Uh, Two weeks ago, uh, there was a woman in our church who came each Sunday to the first service, and she sat right here, Kathleen. Uh, I was at her funeral. Three weeks before that, just three weeks, she went to the doctor because she had a pain in her side. I saw her and her husband in the hospital. He took me aside. They had planned some magnificent time together to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. And just three weeks later, she's gone. Uh, On April 16th, some of you were there with me as we waited in line to pay our respects to her family members. The line went from 4 o'clock till 9.30. I listened as people talked about her, as, as friends who knew each other reflected on their experience of her life, as strangers who'd never met began to share stories about her. I listened as people spoke to the family and as the family spoke to people, and what struck me, and I'm sure it struck anyone who was there, is what a deep and profound impact her life had on a 1,000 people who'd gathered. It was amazing to see. As I paid attention, what stood out to me was that over and over again, uh, the people who were there were, were a mixture of shock, but gratitude for having known her. Uh, because here was someone whose life mattered immensely to people who were young and to people who were old to family members, to her husband, to her children, to her grandchildren, to neighbors that lived around her in Westfield, to people who took care of her day in and day out, to people who cut her hair, to people from support support groups she was a part of, uh, from young life, from Bible study, from church. Uh, Listen to these words. Kathleen was a remarkable person in many ways, but what will stand out to me was her humility. Uh, One of her friends said this on the day that we buried her. She had a deep and sincere faith. She knew the Bible well. She had very, very strong convictions, but she never made you feel that she didn't accept you if you didn't agree with her. She never acted superior. She was gracious and humble in a way that made you feel free to be yourself with her. She impacted a lot of people because of this. People talked about her joy, her kindness, the way that she made an atmosphere for kids in the neighborhood that was attractive for her patience, for how she welcomed people, for how devoted she was to her friends. Uh, Those of you who know her, uh, you you spoke of it. Uh, On Tuesday, we buried her. As I drove home from the graveyard, it struck me how uncommon it is in these living years of ours to stop and ask, what's the difference that our life is making? I actually thought of you. I thought of how I might be someone that God uses to challenge people on this side of death to think uncommonly often about what they're using their lives for. And then I was really grateful for Kathleen. She used to encourage me every week. She was such an inspiration and a powerful person. And then all at once it struck me, the thing about Kathleen that made her so wonderful in her impact was that she made Christ visible. She made it so when you looked at her, you saw Jesus. And then I thought, you know, Every one of us, I have this freedom and so do all of you. Wherever you are in faith, you all are invited to move forward in life by saying, I know what my life is gonna aim at. It's gonna be a life that does everything it can to make Jesus visible. And that's not a bad goal for life. It's a very good one. And it's not a bad goal for a church altogether to decide with one another these two things, That as much as I can, I will be a person who lives in a way that points others away from me to Jesus and we will be a church as much as we can that does everything within our power to make Christ visible. That sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, a, A month or so back, I talked about how we wanted to be a church that would gather to see Jesus, growing to follow him, and then go out into the world to show him. I saw that profoundly on April 17th when I was around the family and friends of Kathleen. And now I said it before us, for these next two months, our goal together will be very simply to learn how we can make Christ visible and how that would be a worthy goal for our lives. I want you to see the words up here on the screen behind me. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. These were the words of the Apostle Paul. He was a man who decided that the point of his life, what his entire reason for being boiled down to was to do everything in his power to make Christ visible. The reason he wanted to do that is he was a person who was going on one path in life where despite being massively successful, he was utterly empty. Have you felt that? Then he met Jesus Christ made himself visible to Paul. It turned him around 100%. He decided to go in a new direction and now his whole life was about making Christ visible to other people. He believed emphatically that the only way to have true life was to see Jesus. He identified himself as a prisoner because he knew what it was like to be imprisoned, in his words, by sin and death. Do any of you know the prison that sin is? That's a word that... that not all of us use all the time. Don't you know what it's like to be trapped on a path in life you wish you could get off of, but you can't and it just drags you down like you're a prisoner? Yeah? Paul knew that and what he knew emphatically was that in Christ God had come to shatter the bars that hold every man and every woman captive. In Christ he overcame death He wiped away sin and in that way he brought total and utter freedom and now when Paul looked at himself he said I'm a prisoner but no longer sin and death but a prisoner to Jesus and that means a prisoner in his love. Have you ever been imprisoned by someone's love in a good way? Yeah that's what Paul thought of when he thought of Jesus. He wanted everybody to know that freedom trusting that that gift of God's grace this is the way Paul put it none of us are saved from that prison by works so that no one can boast but rather By grace through faith, we're rescued and delivered. Anyone who trusts that is free. That's what Paul believed. And believing that, he could say, I therefore. That's what it means here in 4.1 where Paul says therefore. I therefore, in view of that great gift, I beg you. And then these, this beautiful phrase. To lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I want to take that phrase one bit at a time this morning and open it up for us. So that we see... What would be worth aiming at with this one life that we have? Will you look with me? We'll start with the first part of the phrase, lead a life. Uh, It's striking how uncommon it is for us to pause and reflect deeply on this one life that we have. Funerals have a way of doing that, of jarring you out of that, as does being punished for not finishing your vegetables. (laughs) But here, reflect on that for a moment. What is this life that I am leading about? Uh, in Greek, the language in which this letter would have first circulated, the word which is translated lead a life evokes an image that is actually very helpful for thinking about where we are right now. The word is peripeteo, and in Greek it means walk about. Uh, literally, Paul says here, walk about in a way that is worthy of your calling. He, he wants you to imagine life as a journey That is a foot journey that you are walking on a path and he wants you to imagine your life in that way. Do that for a moment. Picture uh, a a man setting out from his village to go to another village. There's no vehicles. uh, It's a dirt road. Uh, He has in mind where he wants to go when he starts. He sees it in his imagination. His destination is already known to him. He hopes to get there. Uh, And because he's walking, it's going to take a long time. There are much quicker ways to get to where you're going than walking, but that's what he's doing, he's walking. Uh, as he travels uh, to his destination, everyone else can see him. Uh, he has to walk on a public road. People are aware of his presence as he moves from here to there. Okay, can you, can you see it? Now try this. I want you to set that image on top of your awareness of your own life, how you are moving through life And now I want you to consider what might God teach you if you think of your own life as this kind of journey by foot. And now especially for those of us who are consciously trying to follow Jesus, I want you to imagine what it would look like, what God might teach you when you think about your life as this journey walking. What do you see? If you're not a follower of Jesus, consider what you can learn here about what we who do follow him want to know. And then consider whether he's inviting you in your heart to come on this journey too, okay? If you picture it, here's the first thing you're gonna see. You're gonna see that God expects you to make progress. Now, this, is, this is good. Uh, God doesn't expect any of us ever to say we believe the right things and start to behave the right way so that we look at ourselves and say, now I have arrived and I'm done. No, that's not how it is. Uh, what God expects is for you to make progress one Step at a time. Progress when you're walking is slow and steady. It's not instant. And so, uh, again, allow that to shape your expectations. Uh, I know that many of you here are well aware of the need that is right now before you that you should grow. Are you aware of that, that you should change, that you need to develop and grow? Okay, don't be upset with yourself for that. It's what God expects, one step at a time. God looks at each of us, and when we think of our lives, he wants us to imagine it like a a walking journey. One step at a time is the progress that God expects us to make, not standing still, but moving forward. That's number one. Uh, Can you see it? Uh, Here, can you see this? Think again about the journey. Can you see that the progress that God wants you to make is purposeful? That God wants you to move with purpose. A peripeteo is something that someone does, not at random, but rather when they know there is a place that they should be at where where they have not yet arrived. And God expects this as well, that you should have in your mind a place that you want to be and you're not there yet. Not so that you feel discouraged, but so that you have the right thing to move toward. I know that some of you are aware of this. Very aware of places that you wish you could get to. That's not a bad thing. It's good. Let them draw you forward in these weeks ahead of us. We're going to look very clearly at the destination that God has for us as we are going to walk through life. But that's the second thing. There's another thing I hope you see. That is that your progress should be purposeful. And then this third thing, that it should be public. You can't walk around in the first century in private. The roads are public roads. And when somebody set out to go from here to there, they always knew that people will see where I'm going and how I am walking through life. God wants us to know that people will be observing us That the question, what does my life look like to others? While it may seem trite on the one hand and very narcissistic and self-absorbed, right? How will they feel about my shoes on Sunday morning? Don't look at my shoes. Right? Don't you fuss about that, about how you look? Not that. But how will the way I walk through life, how will that show what I really believe? Who I really am? And what will it say about the God whose name I bear when I say that I am a follower of Christ's Uh, faith? The faith that every one of us is meant to have. And every one of you has some measure of it. It is indeed an intensely personal thing, isn't it? But that does not mean it's private. Uh, Even if you try to keep it hidden, what you believe will emerge. Now There will be a day when people are gathered together because you're the one who has died. Does that seem overly morbid to point out? It's not. I have a friend, I was really fussy one afternoon about all the things that weren't going my way and I was telling my friend this and and he's like, what else, what else? And he sort of was baiting me, I didn't know it. What else is going on? At the end, he's like, can I tell you something? Yeah. He said, in 150 years, there will literally not be one person alive on planet Earth who's here now and no one is gonna care about all these problems. Thank you very much. Have you thought about that? We'll all be gone. Isn't that profound? So, listen, don't let that make you think it doesn't matter. Instead, make it think here, I've got an opportunity. And the opportunity that you have is to walk on purpose, to make progress because you mean to in a way that others see, that's public. Here, let's come back again to Paul's teaching. There's a second part of his phrase that I want us to consider. He modifies this guidance, uh, this urging that they should lead a life, that they should walk with this word worthy. Walk worthy. Lead a life which is worthy. What do you hear uh, when you hear that word worthy? What do you think of? What, what happens in your imagination when you picture someone who's called Worthy. Uh, When I think of it, I I see a television show where someone is performing in front of a panel of judges. Uh, They're either singing or they're dancing or maybe they're cooking and the judges are going to decide whether they're good enough to go on to the next round. Worthy sounds like good enough in my ears. Like so good that you won't get chopped. (laughs) Do you know that show? Some of you? That's the only one of these that I've ever watched. My wife and I would watch this on Netflix. We binged it for like a month straight. I gained a lot of weight because at night after watching it, I had to eat right before bed. The gospel, the gospel that Paul teaches has absolutely no room at all for this way of thinking about what it's like between you and God. I mean, literally the fur- furthest thing from Paul's mind would be that anyone of us should imagine that being accepted by God comes down to whether we have made ourselves good enough to be judged worthy in that sense. I cannot emphasize this enough. And I want to pause here because communities that are called Christian communities have historically made large uh, mistakes in this very area. Paul starts the letter uh, to the church in Ephesus early on acknowledging that Every man and every woman who's ever lived, no matter what they have achieved, stands before God, not good enough. In the sense of our our thinking of worthy, everyone is unworthy of him. Paul starts, and by the way, don't take my word for it. This week, would you choose to read the little letter of Ephesians, Even if you've never read the Bible before, find your way and read it start to finish. Some of it will be confusing. Some of it you might not like, but I will tell you that if you read it, you will see that at the very heart of this man's understanding of how it works with God is this amazing news that even though every one of us has made ourselves quote unquote unworthy before God, God has decided to love us anyway. His own sovereign decision as the one who's in charge of the entire universe, is to look at your life and my life and to be so overwhelmed with love that he would come in person in Jesus to give himself for us, to rescue us because he loves us, because he wants us to walk on the road with him. There's no way you can or have to make of yourself someone who is worthy but because because of the great love with which he loved us God in Christ has given himself for us so we could be rescued and walk with him. That's the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. But now right beside that Paul begs his listeners, as I implore you, and I'm imploring you to walk worthy, to live a life that is worthy. Now what does that mean? If it doesn't mean good enough to get God's acceptance, what does it mean? The word in Greek worthy is a little word, axios. It's the Greek word from which our word axis is derived. When when Paul used the word axios, what what would have been evoked in the minds of his readers in the first century would have been an image of a balance scale like this. The word axios, Axios literally means to bring up the other side of the balance. Okay, imagine this. On one side of the scale, there is a weight. And therefore, that side goes down and the other side comes up. In order to bring that other side up, there would have to be a weight placed on the other side which corresponded to the magnitude on the side which was down, which was equivalent to, which matched, which was axios to the other weight, which was worthy of it. And in that sense, Paul is imploring his listeners to do everything within their power to lead a life which is worthy of what's on this side. Now, we have to understand this, okay? On one side of the scale is your way of walking through life. Let me be concrete. Not the way you talk about your life, but the way you carry yourself at the end of the day with your spouse. Uh, the way you care for your children in the morning as you're helping them get ready for school. The way you conduct yourself at a business meeting. Or the benefits that you give to your employees when it's their birthday. The way you speak to the person who serves you at the restaurant. The way you disagree with someone who you're sure is wrong. The way you carry yourself through grief. How you respond to someone who's desperately needy when they come up close to you. All of this is how you walk. And that's on one side of the scale. And what Paul is telling those who will listen is that that has to correspond with, that has to measure up to, it has to be equivalent to not what God demands in order to accept you, no, the gospel says that's not how it works. What it has to measure up to is what's on the other side of the scale and that's the third thing here in Paul's statement that you should lead a life worthy of and there it is right there. The calling. The way you walk should correspond to the calling that God has for you. The way you carry yourself through life day in and day out should be equivalent to the task that God himself had in mind when he called you into being. Now, let me tell you this. Not everybody knows this. When Paul wrote those words, he believed that every single man and woman who would ever live on planet earth would be a person for whom God had a calling. He did not think that was only something special for just a few select individuals. He didn't believe that. He actually believed, listen to this, that you personally were a handcrafted masterpiece made by God himself, every one of you. And when God was designing you, he already had in mind these two things. First, that you would become a man, a woman of faith. That you would decide to trust your entire self into the hands of Jesus Christ. God wanted you to do that because only then will you have life. If you've never made that decision, I implore you with everything in me right now to surrender the grip that you have on your own life and give it to God. And in this moment, in the, deep, in the depths of your heart, say, God, take me again. That's the first thing that Paul had, in, that God had in mind when he made you. Here's the second thing. He handcrafted you to be uniquely you so that you could fulfill his unique calling for you personally. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says that we are saved because of God's great love, not by works so that no one can boast, but rather by grace through faith. That is when you trust yourself to God, he'll save you. And then Paul goes on to say, and this is Ephesians 2, 10, we are what he has made us, This unique handiwork made by God so that, listen now, so that we could live into, so that we could perapeteo, so that we could walk in the good works that God had in mind when he made us. That is another way of saying, you have a calling and your calling is to do the good works that God made you for. And only when you discover them will you have real life. And then, this is what Paul begs you to do, and I do it too. Lead a life worthy that bounces out with that particular call that God has given to you. What is the call? The simplest way I can say it is to make Christ visible. That's what Christ wants for every one of us to do. He wants us to do it individually, and he wants us to do it as a church altogether. That's the calling that God has for all of us. In, in different ways, Paul dances around that theme in the letter to Ephesians he does it in the other letters he writes when the apostle Peter wrote his letters you can see that theme in his writing you can see it in John especially in his letters and in his gospel when Jesus was interacting with the disciples and building them up helping them see him and then sending them out what he expected that from all of them and what he expects from us is that our lives would be lives that were aimed toward this one thing making Jesus visible in every way that we possibly can. Uh, Look at this phrase here. This is from Acts, the the second part of the Gospel of Luke. There, Jesus, looking at the disciples in the power of his resurrection, tells them what their calling is. You will be my witnesses, he says. This is just another way of Jesus telling them, your task from now on, the reason for being the, the 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 vision that I have for your life and your calling is to do what you can to be my witnesses. That is to say, to make me visible to others. This is going to be the organizing theme of our time together for these next two months. How to do that. Think about a witness for a moment. Would you would you imagine a witness? A witness functions in two ways. On the one hand, the witness is the person who has a first hand experience of an event. And in that regard, you are a witness of something, right? You, 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 you witnessed it. You saw it happen. That's one way we use the word witness. The other way is in the courtroom when there's a group of people who have not had a first-hand experience of something and they need to know the truth of what happened and they have to rely on the person who is a witness to what they saw happen. You know what I mean now? You see it? And what Jesus is telling us is that in both senses, we're called to be witnesses. Now, many of us in here have been a witness of what God has done for us and for the world in Jesus Christ. And thank God we've been able to see it, right? We saw what a, what a hopeless case we were. We knew how lost we were, even if we were successful, and everyone else in the world thought we were so great. Deep down inside, we knew it amounted to nothing. And then we saw that day when it dawned on us that the way it was with God is that his heart for us had never been anything but undying love. And that what he had done to rescue this hopeless case is to interpose himself between me and what I'd earned in my misery and my sin and my wretchedness, and at his own expense he gave his life to, to save me. And not because I'd done anything to deserve it, but rather because he loved me so much. Thank God. And then, knowing that, that the past is dealt with, some of us have seen that that means now the present is not in our hands, but in God's hands. Thank goodness. And so we don't need to be anxious anymore. We don't need to prove ourselves. We don't have to care what other people think of us in that sense. We get to be utterly free because we're the prisoner of Jesus. And that means also that the future for us is settled and done, even if we don't know the first thing about what tomorrow will hold. We know that eternity means a blessed Reunion between us and all those who in Christ have been rescued and delivered. Thank God forever. It will be like the best feast anyone can imagine. It will be like angels singing forever. Every voice will be tuned perfectly. The heaven, heavenly choirs will be singing. Everyone will be dancing together, the young and the old. And, and all that we've loved and lost in this life will be given to us again, but perfected forever. And, and some of us have been witnesses of that fact, haven't we? And now what Paul is saying is I beg you, walk through life in such a way that the way you carry yourself makes you someone who shows that hope visibly in everything you do. Because the jury is watching, do you know that? All around us, and I'm not saying like in a creepy way, but people are watching you. You know that song, I always feel like somebody's watching me. I've given people advice before. I say, when you preach, if you think of a song, don't ever sing it. <laughs> but you know that song? Everyone, everywhere you go, people are watching you. And, and on the one hand, that means that when you walk in a way that is just not worthy of this great calling, you're telling people lies. When you're a hypocrite, when you judge people at church and then you go out into the world and you're mean and cruel, people see that. When you are self-righteous and moralistic, and you have your own little pet peeves that you judge people about. And then you go out and you are just immoral and greedy or self-centered. People see that. And then they, they flee. And they think they're running away from God, but they're not. But then they end up far. It's true. On the other hand, people see when you walk in a way that's worthy. They do. They see when you're humble and patient. They see when you let the neighborhood kids play in your backyard, even though they're bad kids and you set drinks out for them and you're always welcoming to them. They see when they are doing something that you don't approve of morally, but nonetheless, you stand right beside them anyway, supporting them in their mistakes. All of this, by the way, I heard after Kathleen died because people are watching. And the one question for us is, am I going to be a good witness, a true witness? And let me tell you this, please, listen now. This is no burden. It is no burden at all. To make every effort to do everything that you can to walk in this way may sound like one more task that you have to manage. It's not that. Because the truth about living in a way that's worthy of that calling to show Jesus, to make him visible, is that it is the surest path to freedom and joy and pleasure and peace and gratitude, and thankfulness that any person can ever walk. And not only will it free you, but it will become the thing that God uses to deliver the people around you. And the jury right now, the jury that's looking at you is asking the most important questions. And they are. They're asking, is it true that there's a God? You can say something, but how you walk will show them the truth. They're asking, is it true that Jesus actually loves all people, or only people who are just like you? They're asking, is it true that God is actually with you when you have to go through misery? And the way you're going to answer that is with your own presence or with your own absence. And this jury is asking, and God's invitation is, make every effort to walk in such a way that you are a true witness, that you make me visible in everything you do. What would it look like if we did this? And I say we, because what I'm gonna do in the weeks ahead is challenge you personally to walk in a way that is worthy of this great calling and us all together corporately as a church to do our best to walk in this way. And therefore, we should already have some sense about where we would be going if we make this journey together. And Paul says it very plainly, what it looks like to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In verse two of chapter four in Ephesians, this is what it looks like. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's where we'll go if we'll walk together. That's what it will look like. It will look like humility instead of arrogance. It will look like a confidence in what we believe without that awful ugliness of judging and rejecting people who aren't there yet it will look like patience waiting for people who are further back Uh, letting someone fail and again and again it will mean having patience even with ourselves don't some of you have a hard time being patient with you Uh, it will mean bearing with each other in love I can't wait to preach this message because that one really means putting up with people who are difficult. Do you know? Do you know some people who are difficult? Do you know that you're difficult to some people? (laughs) I'm serious. In the community that is walking worthily of its calling, we put up with each other. That's what God wants us to do. It will look like doing everything we can. Notice to maintain the unity of the spirit. We don't have to establish unity. God did that for all of us when we were all equally lost, united in our desperate hopelessness, and then when he decided to save us with his grace, united in his gift. It would be a community where people are not ready to shove anyone out, but rather the doors are open, come in. And then it will be a place of peace, and this, this is a worthy goal for us. To aim together to live in such a way that when we are gone individually or this place is gone, that what people will say is that was a place where there was humility. That was a community where people were patient. Where they were gentle instead of harsh. Where they, where they hung in there even when you were difficult and they were united in the right way and there was Peace. And the reason that's worth aiming for is just one single reason. Because when people see that, what they're seeing is Jesus. And that's our goal, is to make Christ visible. Let's pray together and ask God uh, to give us success on this journey. God, we love you so much. Uh, For those of us who have been the witnesses of your mercy in our own lives or in the lives of people that we love, we praise you and give you great thanks for that. Now what we need is to allow our vision of that to change us so that we show others what you're like. I ask simply that each of us for having been here would have a clearer picture of who you are and then a clearer grasp on the main thing that you want our lives to be about. Help us become people who make you visible wherever we find ourselves. God, lead us by your grace and use us in your mercy. To this end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.